Welcome to the Devil Unfiltered Podcast. We are your hosts, our Mary, Dr. Nafi, and Anafai Butner. We are here to educate, empower, and engage you. Today's episode is going to be about the educational system in the Gambia. With us today, we have an amazing guest called Nasise Mariana, who is an educational activist. So when we talk about the Gambia education system, we're looking at a structure that was inherited from its colonial powers and continues to use English as the language of instruction. Um, in some of our existing schools, you may actually have uh, schools that are operating as two distinct schools, one group of students attending schools in the morning session and another um, group attending in the afternoon sessions. We have quite a number of um, urgent matters to attend to when it comes to our school system. There's a lack of teachers, qualified teachers. We're dealing with low salaries. We're also dealing with teachers and educators who might be demoralized. We're dealing with a huge number of failures when it comes to standardized national testing. So there's a lot to cover, but um, Nasi, say, I wanted to throw you the first question of just asking, what do you think is the most pressing um, issue that we have in our Gambian um, educational system to deal with? And please feel free to introduce yourself with all your accolades, because yep. I know you have a lot. Nasi, say, Marina, as you said, um, I think that's quite, a challenging question to answer. What is the most pressing issue? For me, there's so many competing issues. But I think like a national discourse in education, we hosted a national dialogue on education, which actually was just based in Banjo, come to think of it, maybe should have gone around the country. Um, but it's to really look at what is the purpose of education? Like what is the Gambia that we're trying to build? I see education as a building block of a society um, as opposed to, you know, uh, just educating for a job, but educating for the future of the Gambia that we want. So I think we need to start with what is the purpose of education and then work our way back and dismantle, you know, what doesn't serve us in the system. I think that is probably where I would start. And some of that work is going on. Um, the Ministry of Education has a project called the ESSP, um, which is the Education Sector Something Plan. Um, and part of that is to look at um, changing the curriculum for one, reskilling teachers by looking at Gambia College and um, strengthening it. Um, you know, focusing on early childhood education. Mm -hmm. But again, I personally feel that building blocks have to be built on something. So if the foundation of our education system is in need of change, because as you said, it's something that we got from the colonial era. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I can say it's not, it wasn't done, it wasn't designed for us to be liberated, self-reliant, beings on this earth who think for ourselves, will for ourselves, and do for ourselves. It was designed so that we serve colonial masters as clerks. Um, and, you know, one of the manifestations of that is that, you know, we, the education system leaves us 
with not having the skills that we really need to function for an independent Gambia um, or people who can direct their own future. Um, when you look at the government, we still depend on, EU, on the EU to actually pay our salaries, right. um, the government salaries, mm-hmm. um, of which teachers are a part of. Um, a lot of education is being funded by the World Bank, mm-hmm. um, GPE, um, you know, and these are structures that have, um, basically, they're structures of white supremacy that, you know, now there's this huge outroar. It's like the whole world's awakened to that. Um, people are talking about the IMF and how it's structured and how World Bank is structured. And these are the people that are guiding our education. I think Malcolm X said something along the lines that you do not let your enemies educate your children. Um, and I think we need to, if we want to transform education so that it serves us, it needs to be education that comes from us. And our government should make a commitment to education as a priority area, you know, and not just education in terms of, because they spend relatively um, well on education if you compare them to the rest of sub-Saharan Africa. But mm-hmm. what is that money going to? It's going mostly to, you know, salaries and travel expenses as opposed to the actual um, improvement of the system. So the improvement of the system is coming from outside. Mm-hmm. And who gives you money for a great part dictates policy. Absolutely. Um, and that's just it. Whether it's a silent, subtle dictation of what we're doing with education or if it's outright, this is what you need to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think these are things that we really need to have a look at. Um, as a country, you know, um, I think right. Julius Nyerere really spoke about this in the Arusha Convention that, you know, we need an Africa where people are self-reliant and self-determining. And this is the key to liberation. So mm-hmm. if we're looking wow. at how do we become liberated beings, think we right. really need to look at our education system right. because so it's not designed for that my, my first question would be for now wow. um, just can you share some of the data that you have um, or you have seen um, with us um, so in terms of like pretty much everything on education in the Gambia whatever data that you have can you share some of that yeah so I can share some of the data what I will say is that um, data is great as long as we have matters. Um, Some of the education data that we measure doesn't really measure the impact Mm -hmm. of the interventions. Mm -hmm. But for example, one of the most alarming things is that a third of our children are out of school, um, Mm. which is, you know, a whole lot of children. And we talk about equity. So we have issues of equity. We have issues of access. And, you know, equity Mm -hmm. is just a nice word for justice. Um, So the fact Mm -hmm. that certain children don't have Mm -hmm. access to education, it means Mm -hmm. that, you know, the system is extremely unequal. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and then if we look at, if we sort of look at the, I use the word wealthiest, because we're not, we don't really have a huge wealth. Right. So I say the highest income children 
mm-hmm. um, and the most impoverished, um, 60% of the highest income children um, are not in early childhood education. We know that brain development starts before the age of six. Right. Or the majority of brain development really happens in the first thousand days. So we don't really educate for the first thousand days. But three to six, there's still some gains that can be made. That's Mm -hmm. called the critical window of opportunity. So 60% Mm -hmm. of children from the highest income group are there. Um, And then four out of five of the children from the most impoverished backgrounds do not attend any early childhood education. So Mm -hmm. I think early childhood education is really something we need to look at. When we talk about the acquisition of language, a child can absorb language from their environment until four and a half, like naturally. So if English is spoken in the school environment, mm-hmm. they'll absorb it. And that's not to say that we should teach English, by the right. way. Um, but whatever language is spoken in the environment is absorbed naturally. Yeah. Um, and I think those... For me, those are two of the most critical things because everything else follows from the fact that children don't have access to education mm-hmm. and that they're not fully prepared for learning. Okay, that makes sense. Interesting. Quick question for you, Na. I know you just talked about early um, childhood education and then the languages in which we should probably be teaching. And my question is, well, and it's for all of us to discuss um, here, is that is the suggestion that we teach the children in local languages as, as opposed to English, would that make it easier for the schools? Or because in my mind, just thinking about yes, uh, English was a colonial language that was bestowed upon us as a country, Um, but also as a country with multiple languages, you know, handful of languages, how cohesive would that be if we were to teach Um, the local? So there's um, there's already a move by the government to teach national languages. So I'm not sure how far, how long ago that project started, but it's been a few years. Um, but that lo- national language is being used as a bridge to English. Um, so as I said before, if language is absorbed naturally between the ages of zero and four and a half, English doesn't need a bridge. Mm-hmm. I am saying that we do need to prioritize our national languages um, simply because it's a way of decolonizing ourselves. If you walk into a classroom or you speak to anybody, we have this complex about English. If English is not spoken with a particular accent, there's this unsaid thing that, you know, depending on how you speak English, there's a higher regard for that. And we sort of think that, you know, I go into spaces and I have an accent. I don't really know where it is. But when I open my mouth, I know that people listen not because of what I'm going to say, but because it sounds good with that accent, (laughs) which I think is superficial. There's a lot of intelligent people who don't even speak Mm -hmm. English, you know, and then Mm -hmm. also looking at what is education? Is education just being in a classroom? Can you be educated in other ways? Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think that one of the things that they've done is they've taught national languages, um, whatever the dominant language is in the area, they teach that. Mm-hmm. 
again, you know, when you talk about equity and justice, I'm not sure that that is necessarily right. Um, but again, you have to look at what is feasible. Um, yeah. Because, you know, if you have somewhere with four different languages, it's probably difficult to have like four different um, teachers. But I've noticed that in communities, especially huge settlements, um, where maybe there's Jolas and Mandinkas and Fullers, um, you know, mm -hmm. they speak Mandinka. And minority, Fullers are not, Fuller is not spoken. And I think that's something that we need to look at, um, at least giving children access to speak their mother tongue in the classroom. I'm not sure mm -hmm. how we can implement that, but I think that's definitely something that we should work on. Mm -hmm. We can still, we can still teach, sorry, we can still teach English, but, you know, um, we should also look at implementing our languages. India mm -hmm. does it. I agree with you, um, Nasi, because I feel like just imagine mm. starting school and not being able to understand your teacher. And that's the reality for many Africans um, not just Gambians, but Africans around the continent where you get into the first grade and you are mm -hmm. not used to hearing English because you're speaking your mother tongue at home, but then you're being taught in either English or French or Portuguese. And what it does, I feel mm -hmm. like if you want to find a measure to, to prevent children from learning, you have, you have already found that by teaching in a language that they don't hear around the home. It's like, here in the U.S., right, for example, you will hear people tell you, anybody who goes to high school here will say, especially <laughs> Africans, I took four years of uh, French in high school, but all we can say is mm -hmm. bonjour in the worst mm -hmm. accent ever, because at home, we don't speak French. Uh, when we're hanging out with our friends, we don't speak French. At the mall, you don't speak French. So I feel like it, we already start off at a disadvantage when at home we're speaking Jola and Wolof and Fula and Sose, then you get to school and it's like, now mm -hmm. you have to learn in a completely new language. And I, that's and I also to think you. too, it's like, um, like you said, um, not only that you're learning in a language that's, that's foreign to you, but it's not continuing at home. So because they speak it at school and then you get home, you continue speaking the other language until you go back to school and so on and so forth. My only question would be, in, in, in addition to what you've just said, um, Anna, would be how will they compete with the rest of the world if they are taught in a different right. language? Right. Um, and, and, you know, being that English is the most um, spoken language around the world, how will they compete um, if they are taught in a different language? And you, I think uh, um, now you mentioned a little bit that um, they will also speak, I mean, English can also be taught, but how do you envision something like that? I know you're not sure how they're going to do it, but if you were going to implement something like that, how would you envision that? So definitely with Teach for the Gambia, we're looking at implementing that. So we've been speaking to a Senegalese professor from Colombia um, who teaches Wolof. Um, so you know, Wolof is not the dominant language, but we're really looking mm -hmm. at implementing and making material because it's a Montessori classroom um, mm -hmm. that is in that language. Um, quite often we think that, you know, people in the rural areas or people who do not go to formal schools cannot write. And that is not true. 
mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen anyone writing in what looks like an Arabic script, and that's called Ajami. And they write Wolof and they write Pular, they write Dinka mm. in that script. And that is knowledge. Um, so Interesting. You know, wow. I'm a Montessorian, so I don't really use the word compete. Um, and mm-hmm. I think one of the disasters of the education system is that it's designed to compete as opposed to collaborate. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think all of us here individually, there's a purpose that we have. Um, there's an individual and a collective purpose. And it's difficult to reach that collective purpose as a country if we're too busy competing with each other. I think we can already mm-hmm. see what that looks like in, you know, I think in the Gambia. Um, and then it sort of takes you away from why you're here in the first place, because then you just want to copy what our Mary is doing and what right. Nafi is doing, as opposed to what right. you're here for. Um, right. So I think of education more as collaborating. Mm-hmm. You know, I think mm-hmm. one of the reasons that we, it's important for us to speak our language is that our values. Um, I think the French language is probably a good example of this. You know, French culture is extremely racist and classist and everything. Language is a huge part of that culture. So if you do speak the French language, there's certain things that you look down on that are not okay. Um, And that is conveyed in the language that you speak. So in a sense, I never feel like you can be wholly yourself without being able to express your soul in your language. And our classrooms are a space where you cannot come in and speak Wolof. You know, in many schools in the Gambia or Mandinka or Jola or Pula, it's not accepted. You're not allowed to speak vernacular. Can you imagine that a whole part of yourself, which is your language and your culture, is not allowed in the space that you're spending a lot of hours in and in the space mm-hmm. that you're supposed to learn in, you know, for me, that is extremely dehumanizing. But when you talk about language and competing, if, even if you were going to talk about competing in the world, um, look at China. Like, they have right. no problem competing. Yes, there's a lot of them, a mm. lot of Chinese, um, and we're a small country, but there's still right. Wolof, there's still Fula, there's Mandinkas from Mali. And... I think when we talk about education, as well as when we talk a lot of liberation, we need to look at that Pan-African context um, as mm-hmm. to, you know, as one small country, it's probably not something we can do. But if Senegal mm-hmm. and Mali and Guinea and all of us had that one unique w- unity of strategy mm-hmm. in education, I think it would be different. Mm-hmm. Wow. True. Some really good information. I do have a question to ask just in general now. Um, I don't know if you can hear me. Yes. In regards to, um, because as a Gambian who, I I lived in Gambia, did most of my early education in Gambia. If I look Mm -hmm. back now at um, where our educational system is versus where we used to be in your opinion do you think that we are getting better or are we getting worse as far as quality in education that we're getting because i i feel like back in the day you know if even if you got you know a sixth grade education or a 12th grade education you finished high school you were very capable you literally could go sit in an office and you know, 
get why do the minimum and eat get the stuff to be as nice and, and 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 correct as i could be with that um but nowadays it's kind of tough you know like the 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 quality of of students that the schools are churning out is it because the system is worse now than it used to be um what is your take on that um great question nafi i think this is something that comes up all the time you know like even my mom cites that when she went to public school mm-hmm. it's like her english is like the queen um but, <laughs> um <laughs> you know i think also um one of the things that we have to look when we compare quality and everything is just the historical context of who had access to education mm-hmm. um you know when the colonialists i don't know what we call them these days but when the colonialists came in they gave access to a few people it started with the mm-hmm. apples who were free mm-hmm. slaves who they thought had mm-hmm. imbibed enough of their culture mm-hmm to be okay mm-hmm. to sit in desks mm-hmm. and do what was needed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it yeah. was the Wolof, and then it was, they tried to take on the children of the chiefs who some of the chiefs wanted, the Mandinka chiefs, some didn't. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, you know, the Mandinkas and the Fullers resisted education for quite a while um, because of Islam. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd be mm-hmm. wrong here, I'm no great historian, but the Jolas were mm-hmm. one of the last or fewer people to get education. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then a lot of the education facilities were concentrated in Banjul and not in the, what it was called at that time, which is the protectorate. Um, and this actually went on, if I'm not mistaken, for up till 1988 or something, where there were just maybe a handful of high schools. I don't want to say three, but I mm-hmm. think it's three um, in the rural yeah. areas. So, you know, it's easier to have a great show of education if you're only educating a few from the wealthy and elite class um, of peoples, which, you know, so yeah, the quality was great. We had mission schools. We had teachers who were educated abroad. Mm -hmm. I think some of them may have actually been educated in Cambridge or Oxford. Mm -hmm. But when Mm -hmm. you talk from an equity um, standpoint, what happened mm. during that 22 year of that guy that we will not name um, right. was that he actually expanded access to education. Now, I don't know if this was policy before he came in or not. That's not knowledge mm-hmm. that I have. But when you look at the mm-hmm. common entrance, I found that two years ago that the common entrance was designed to actually limit the number of people who could get into high school because the spaces were limited. And this is why the um, the pass rate was never announced until the exam results came out. Then they'd Mm -hmm. be like, okay, Mm -hmm. we have 22 places. Mm -hmm. So anybody under Mm -hmm. 201, you don't go to Mm -hmm. high school. So it's not that you're Mm -hmm. stupid. It's just that there's no space for you. But then you go through your Mm -hmm. entire life thinking, I'm in afternoon section, therefore I'm stupid. Um, but it's mm-hmm. that the state never prepared. So when, you know, that criminal was president, um, not, that, not that the current one isn't, but you know, the bigger criminal. Um, when he was president, he, um, during that era, there was a wide, there was 
wider access to education. Now, not as many, we still have an access problem, but mm-hmm. right. an education, there was this free education for all. So we didn't have the capacity of teachers. So the college had to lower the grades of people they got there. A lot of the teachers also left because we were depending a lot also on West African teachers from the subcontinent. Um, you know, Gambians, a lot of Gambians go into teaching now, but generally we don't have a good view of teaching. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. I probably know from our school two people who were teachers and only one is a teacher now. So there's mm. also that, like, who goes into teaching? And more people should definitely go into teaching. Mm-hmm. This is the most important profession in the world. Um, the agency our people have, their proficiencies, their awareness, their values is all transmitted through education. Um, you know, educa- as this education system is what makes a society. It determines the quality of leadership that we have, you know. Exactly. Absolutely. So it's something that lingwara faradallah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and, and I get that, you know, educational accessibility um, to school varies greatly. I mean, although schooling is, is theoretically available to all children at the primary level, secondary schooling is competitive and it's available only to those who pass their exams, right? So, if you fail to attend secondary school due to less um, it, like poor performance because you was, fail yes. your, your um, what do they call it now? Was? Yeah, because you, you fail your was. Um, but sometimes it's also because of a result of low income, right? So children from poor families mm-hmm. cannot afford school fees. They cannot mm-hmm. afford books. They cannot afford mm-hmm. uniforms. Therefore, they're prevented from furthering their education. I know children um, mm. may also need to contribute to their family incomes by working as maids. Mm-hmm. When I was in Gambia, mm-hmm. I had maids who went to school and they spoke English. And my kids, when I just got to Gambia, couldn't speak Wolof. So um, they were speaking English to my children, very good English and communicating with them with no problem. So sometimes it's also the poverty like aspect that we also need to look at. Listen, we all know that Gambia is super poor. We don't even, the highest level we have when it comes to um, levels of income is is an upper middle class. We don't have a rich, we don't have a wealthy mm. section or a wealthy, a, a wealthy a huge group in the country. So we have to address the poverty, which also affects the educational system. If parents are not educated, mm-hmm. most of the time they want to educate mm-hmm. their children. But then mm-hmm. there's the, you know, affordability aspect. There's nothing you you don't have it, you don't have it. And that also mm-hmm. adds to some of the social issues that we have. Last episode, we had discussed, you know, domicida. You have family structures where some people will give their children mm-hmm. to another family mm-hmm. because that family is perceived mm-hmm. to be wealthier and ho- they're hoping that their child will go to school and get an education and become someone successful and can Mm -hmm. come back home and take care of the parents or maybe uplift the other siblings that are, you know, in that house. So, you know, it's like 
it, it all weaves into each other from education to social issues. So now I guess I'm just trying to figure out like, how do we as a community address some of those issues of like, you know, poverty <laughs> affecting the schooling system, but also affecting some of our social issues. I know it's, it's, it's a lot I mean, to unpack, the nail on the head but start really. from wherever um, you want, girl. And I think this is like a global issue. Um, children, now I use the word mm -hmm. oppressed because poverty is a form of oppression. Um, and every time Absolutely. I use the word oppressed, people come down on me, but it is actually a form of oppression. Um, poor, and I don't want to use the word poor because they're impoverished children. They're children that are being made poor by the system around them. Mm -hmm. So these oppressed children from families with poorest, with lower socioeconomic backgrounds, um, they have poor educational outcomes. And this is throughout the world. And this is one of the reasons Teach for All exists. Um, but here, we, the, you can, I, and I'll share the data in a second. It's also an intergenerational issue. Like you mentioned, you know, your parents are poor, they're not educated. Um, very few mm. people slip that net. Like my father slipped that net. Uh, and that was because I think his dad was a messenger for the governor of somewhere. Um, and he used to work the, walk the children from his village miles to school. Like my father's probably in mm. his late 60s, almost 70 at the moment. Mm. And this hasn't changed. So when you talk about we're living in region one, and I think even that's an issue in region one. But when you talk about region two, for example, the Funis, where I go to, I see children walking kilometers to school. These are children, so they've tried to put early childhood education in um, huts in quite a few areas. But for some children, like mm -hmm. the walk is to the next village. Um, or, and for mm -hmm. some children mm -hmm. going to primary school, the walk is actually three, four villages away, which is like three kilometers. So there are some families who just say, look, it's not safe enough. And you won't believe, like, mm -hmm. I've been to schools with children three and four, and the children go the whole day without food. So the whole day has to stop at 11, because at that time, younger children, if they don't eat, they're very irritable. Like, I mean, even if I don't eat, I'm irritable. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. <laughs> and this is such an issue. Like, it's so unbelievable for me, like... Uh, not but I can't believe that as a country, this is where we are. So when you look at like the data for, and I say it's intergenerational because that poverty cycle becomes a trap. It's so difficult to break out of. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And then there's other issues. And it's not just because your parents aren't educated that the children are doing poorly. It's issues of access. It's issues of opportunity. You know, we're still struggling mm -hmm. with, even when you finish grade 12, are you going to get a job? Are you going to go into university? Mm -hmm. uh, with COVID, a lot of university mm -hmm. students whose parents are farmers are not able to afford their fees because they've had a zero season. We've had also a lot of rain, mm -hmm. so a lot of crops have been finished. So we need to solve the poverty issue, but it's like we have to do it in tandem with the educational issue because 
it cannot be sustainably solved without education. So, right. for example, the inequity rates and I think inequalities, like the injustice rates are like the, the richest. And I'm quoting UNICEF here. Um, so this is their data from MIX, which is the multi-indicator sec, um, cluster survey of 2018. It says that from the wealthiest families, 88% finished primary school and then those who are oppressed, 62%, most oppressed in our country. But for seniors, the upper senior secondary, only 32% of the wealthiest families complete schools and mm. 15% of the most oppressed families, 15%. That's, my math is terrible, but that's wow. like what, 75? Yes. Do that's, not that's, finish that's crazy. That's, and wow. you know, things like, you know, then we have a maternal mm. health problem. So there's so much in, intersectionality right. between all the issues that we have. Exactly. Um, you know, child marriage is very much in existence still. I've yeah. seen evidence of it. Um, yeah. Wow. Yes. So, yeah. that's, you know, um... for me, I think education is something that the private sector need to be involved. I remember when, when I was in university, which was about 2005, 2006, and that was the year that Teach First in the UK came into being, and they invest, the private sector invested a lot in inner city education in the, in the UK. So there were pluses and minuses of that. But the government cannot do it alone. Right. Um, cannot do it alone um i've been to classrooms where the teacher it doesn't have chalk um and i don't even think talk and chalk is like a good way of educating which is rote teaching but if you don't have those basic tools i was in a classroom where they had no material except some notebooks that were some small picture books that they were coloring with and like a few color pencils And I just sat there for 30 minutes with my hands in my head because it was so distressing. Um, And this is the reality in many of our schools and many of our communities. You will be shocked to see. Mm -hmm. And I'm, you know, I'm not even talking in places like CRR that are extremely remote. Um, I'm talking about one hour, 45 minutes from turntable. So I think we yeah. as a Gambian people, like those of us living in the urban area, I think it's also a call to action. Like we need to go around our country and look and see what's actually happening in our country. Because when we think Gambia is developing and progressing, we're only as good as mm-hmm. the people who are suffering the most, you know, as a society. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And it, it goes to, you know, my question that, you, you know, as you were um, speaking, I was going to ask you, what can we do, you know, as as a country, as people? Um, because that's one thing I would say in the Gambia. And I don't know if it's culturally or I think, um, you know, most Gambians, I would say they're not very empathetic. If it's not happening to them, they don't, you know, oh, well, it's just, you know, Nas problem. It's our Mary's problem. And we really need to start digging in. And like you said, taking the, t- uh, the time, if you can, going in um, and seeing what else is out there. 
I mean, I remember, you know, when they do book drives that I would, um, mm-hmm. you know, give books and, you know, send in books, but I have no idea where those books are going. I don't know who's, um, um, you know, uh, hand is going to, I mean, I've, you know, when they fundraise and donate here, it's going to books. I do that. But again, I have no idea because, you know, you give and then you don't see the results. That's one thing too in the Gambia um, where they fundraise. Once you fundraise, they don't tell you exactly your money went to so-and-so-and-so. Um, so that's another thing. But what can we do as the public um, you know, especially for us, you know, the double unfiltered, what can you, mm-hmm. what can we do um, to kind of help? Because right now we're all seeing it. We love our country. We love our children. We love the children that come out of there. My heart breaks every time I go to the Gambia and I have little kids that are selling me, um, you know, the Nana, which is the mint, you know, the mint um, leaves and um other things, what are the, you know, the little fan, the hand fans and so on. And I constantly ask them, mm-hmm. why are you not in school? This is a school hour. And they tell me, um, you know, well, I'm not going to that school. I'm going to a Quranic school, an Arabic school. And I'll, you know, and I'll say, you need to substitute both. Like, um, so, and, you know, those are the things that I would just want to hear from you. What is it that you are asking people what's that call to action what can we do the entire um, population or people that are listening in so there's a couple of things that i wanted to say um so i'm not a believer that education only happens in schools um i believe that education happens everywhere some of our schools, um, I'd rather keep our children, my children at home. And I mean, that's one of the reasons I started a school, because I came, I looked around and I was like, mm-hmm. there is nowhere I can send my children for six hours a day. And I was educated here. But, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, education is not just about what you're learning academically. It's also about the self-esteem. When I went to school, I remember mm-hmm. being branded as being the smart one. I don't think of myself as smart anymore. I could cram and I understood what they were saying at that time. But it dawned on me when I went to the UK mm-hmm. and the US that actually I wasn't that smart because I couldn't think critically, you know, I could regurgitate whatever you said. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I also think about the agency of what we're agency and how that reflects on our society you're sitting in a classroom where knowledge only comes from one person so we talk about wanting a democratic society um, but where does it start you're sitting in the classroom where the teacher Mm -hmm. is the center of all knowledge they're the all-knowing the all-being you know in the absence of God Um, so you are not allowed to bring in any of your experiences you're not allowed to challenge that knowledge you're not allowed to think for yourself how does that translate into society again in many places the teacher is not only the center of all knowledge but is also the oppressor so how does that work into childhood trauma you know when we look at you know jame and the trrc of the few episodes that i watched like a lot of the perpetrators there were incidences of childhood trauma and we need to go back because I think during the Jami yeah. era, I was one of the people who thought, oh, these people are not Gambian. They must have come from Kazamas or somewhere else. Guinea-Bissau, they mm. could not be Gambian. But this is us. Like, so we need to mm-hmm. start with a look into ourselves. You know, 
when you look at thematic mm-hmm. education, which is the education of ancient Egypt, um, which was a Negro mm-hmm. um, or a black civilization, education was about know thyself. So knowing yourself. So people were educated for 40 years. So it was ongoing knowledge seeking so that you get to know yourself better mm-hmm. because the more you know yourself, the better you are. Um, you know, we try to institute mm-hmm. discipline, which is discipline from somewhere else. And I think that's why we're kind of rogue everywhere, you know, um, mm-hmm. because once we don't have someone oppressing us, then we can be how we are. So I think we need to look at things of self-discipline as well. We need to look a lot mm-hmm. at self-discipline. So when you mm-hmm. ask me what we can do, right. you know, mm-hmm. even for you, all three of you who do not live in the Gambia, you're still taxpayers because I'm sure a lot of you are investing in the Gambia or sending to family members in the Gambia. So you are paying some tax. Number one is mm-hmm. to hold our government accountable. Right. Like this is their work. That is why they are there. Um, and this can right. only come if we all, what Palo Ferre calls consensusization, if we all reach a point of knowledge and understanding, where is this issue coming from? You know, mm-hmm. one of the things is that we think, you know, when we talk about education, we say, oh, it's the teachers or it's, you know, the, cho- the parents are not right. sending their children to school. You know, we don't have a culture of reading. Mm-hmm. You know, we find a hundred different reasons, reasons that blames either the children or the teachers. We need to look at the system and why it's designed in that mm-hmm. way. And we can only do that, like Brian Stevenson lays out four ways that you can make a change in the world. And I think that those are applicable. Like it's one of the things that guides the work I do and it's proximity to those who are suffering or oppressed, um, challenging and changing the existing Mm -hmm. narratives. Um, The existing narratives of what is education. One of the biggest things is that we think education was brought to us by the tubab, so we need to speak English to be educated. We were educating our children. When I look at Montessori education and mm-hmm. I look at his, historical indigenous African education, I'm just like, Marie Montessori mm-hmm. bootlegged a lot of the stuff from us, you know? But this is things that when mm-hmm. we say to mm-hmm. parents, um, you need to speak to your children, you know, nicely, or you need to explain to them instead of beating. They're like, oh, that's not our culture. We need to examine our culture and where it comes from. Because a lot of things that we think are our culture really aren't. Where does the need to smack your children come from? You know, where does the need to exert that dominance? Where does it come from? You know, so we need to really examine our history. You know, a lot of Africans, Mm -hmm. a lot of Africans. So we have an African leadership, a lot of kingdoms before and how people were raised i'm not saying it's a good thing and people should be kings and queens i'm just saying that people were raised with ham mm-hmm. ham if something yes, is wrong with absolutely. your child you right. know, and you want to teach your child something you teach them to leap i remember my grandma used to teach us to leap or songs if you do something she would use that yes. as a point of correction she also did smack us but you know right. that's beside the point but back to Brian Stevenson. Yeah. <laughs> so Brian Stevenson said, um, proximity to those who are suffering, challenging and changing existing narratives, staying hopeful, and then doing the um, inconvenient and the uncomfortable. Um, yeah. And, yeah. you know, I'm also calling a lot of us, like 
from the urban areas. Like we go, we get educated and we never go past Berkama. I think I only went to Berkama like maybe four or five years ago. And that was only because my husband wanted to go. And I was like, oh my God, I can't go to Berkama. And I went and, you you know, I go in and out of the Fonies now almost every single week. Um, I would go to CRR if I had a better car. Um, But it's so important to see our country because we can be under the illusion that Gambians Mm -hmm. are lazy. That's such, it's such a huge lie. Like, you know, we're poor because we're lazy. I see rural women waking up at twilight what's the other one Absolutely. called the twilight at dawn um you know to but go yeah, to their yeah. farms and they come home and they cook how many of us can do that you know so we need to and that is challenging these yeah. narratives you know i compel yeah. more people to come home and do the work and the people who are here we need to think of i think when we had independence we had a group of, and I talk about African independence of Kwame Kurma, Julius Nyerere, um, mm-hmm. Thomas Sankara, who basically saw themselves as nation mm-hmm. builders. I'm mm-hmm. not sure I see that in this generation of our people because we've now mm-hmm. imbibed that Western mentality of I need to grab, grab and get for myself. I need to secure myself first. You know, okay, you need to secure yourself mm. first, great, but then you need to get a huge fence with, like, pit bulls um, because the society right. around you exactly. is so unequal. People don't have things to feed their children. Exactly. You know, when we talk again about this exactly. irregular migration or whatever they call it, um, again, you know, a lot mm-hmm. of us are telling stories by IOM about the dangers of the road. But why is there a danger? Why don't they just open their borders mm-hmm. so we can get on a flight? We don't need to go through Mauritania. So we need to start thinking critically as well about that stuff. Yes, children should stay here, mm-hmm. but stay for what? Mm-hmm. You know, stay mm-hmm. for what? You know, I think the saddest mm-hmm. thing is that right. the, not the, majority, the majority actually of our young people want to leave. They do not believe that they can take if you to use the yeps slogan in the Gambia. They do not yeah. have that belief. Yeah. Everyone is looking for a stepping stone to leave the country. And one, we have also Absolutely. created that narrative. You know, even mm-hmm. I, I felt like I couldn't come home. Mm-hmm. Like, oh my God, this lights off all the time. Yeah. The, yeah, okay, there's lights off all the time. But, you know, this is still something that we can survive. Mm-hmm. And who's going to fix it? Who's going to fix it? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, wow. Yeah. That's so, very true. Yeah. I think you unpacked yeah, no, you so much. Hit, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you hit, the, you hit the nail right on the head now. Oh, my gosh. Because, um, I mean, I appreciate all that insight. Because, like you said, most of us, especially some of us in the diaspora, we always see this issue as their issue. We don't see it as a collective our issue because we are not there. Mm-hmm. And I have said this over, mm-hmm. like you said, you know, it made a lot of sense to me when you say, you know, like part of fixing is, is making sure you do the uncomfortable work too, right? Yeah. So when, mm-hmm. it, it boggles my mind that when I go to Gambia and I go to places like Fatoto, and I see patients from 8 a.m. till midnight, people tell me back in the diaspora, why are you wasting your time? Why aren't you 
going on vacation mm. in Europe. I cannot. That kind of mentality is why we are where we are. Mm. Mm-hmm. Because we think mm-hmm. it's not my job to fix it. Every time you want to go, it is hard work going back. And most of us, unfortunately, would rather not. They would rather just live the good life mm-hmm. of whatever they have here than going back and having to do the uncomfortable work, like you said. It's not comfortable going to Fatoto. Let me tell you, especially for a germaphobe like myself. I am such a big germaphobe, mm-hmm. but you know what? I grabbed my bed sheets and rolled my pillows and I, I whenever, wherever I went, I just put my new pillow sheets and I'm good. But like thinking about the mentality that, oh, you know what? Ugh, somebody else will do it. We all collectively, and you know, it. every little bit helps. I tell everybody, I cannot save everybody in Gambia, obviously, but every, every little right. thing that you do is helping somebody. So I always say, don't think the little you do nothing. Because sometimes people are hopeless, right? right. They mm-hmm. say, well, yeah. you know, if you're helping one child, right. paying for one child's school, like, like helping do something for mm-hmm. one child, you know, it's not, it's not the whole village, mm-hmm. but just help somebody go places. And you're right about mm-hmm. most people who live in the cities a lot of the young people that I know, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to throw Ida Sane up there. I'm going to put her on blast. Ida Sane and I went to, mm. when we, when we mm. do these medical missions, she was so excited to go to Base because she has never gone that far her whole life that she lived in Gambia. She's never gone like past, you know, mm. like, you know, the neighborhoods, you know? We are sometimes clueless about what is beyond. Even when, you know, like going to Basse, going to like Sukuta, a lot of people back in the day haven't been beyond that, you know, those borders. So sometimes some of these things we're we're like clueless about and we have this notion, oh, it's just like here, but it's very, it, it can be quite different. And there's poverty, like you would not believe, when you go to these places and mm-hmm. wow, I have to say it keeps me, first of all, it keeps me humble. Mm-hmm. When I go to these places, mm-hmm. it keeps me grounded as well. Because when you see how some people are mm-hmm. living, like there is no way yeah. you go to bed at night without saying, how can I do something? You know what I mean? And sometimes I think right. seeing these things will make you continue to become passionate about wanting to help but if you don't see it you don't think it you you know Nafi, i wanted to just jump in Mm -hmm. because i understand that idea that um it's hard to see the poverty the level of poverty we have in gambia and not be moved to do something and our mary you mentioned something about lack of empathy but it's Mm -hmm. hard to it's hard to have empathy when you're in the poverty see it's very Mm -hmm. It's very easy for those of mm-hmm. us that are no longer in Gambia or have yeah. moved out to Europe and were, were living different lifestyles. We have empathy for our 
fellow Gambians that are still in Gambia. Every Gambian mm. that I know that has left Gambia has a nonprofit organization trying mm. to figure out how to help in some way. But mm. when you're there, it's hard to mm. see it and to empathize with your fellow Gambians because there's that crab in the barrel mentality where everyone mm. is trying to yeah. get out. Right. So that brings in the mm-hmm. whole mm-hmm. issue of the back way and people trying to get out of the country because they don't they're desperate and they don't see any hope in the country. Mm-hmm. Then we also have to address the fact that, yes, there are Gambians that want to help. There are Gambians that go back home. But there's also a pushback for the diasporans when they come home. You Amen. don't get any assistance. Amen. The mentality Ooh. is you're not welcome when you come in and you have any idea it could be the smallest idea for example instead of keeping paper files can i put this in an excel spreadsheet oh my god (laughs) you know so there's also there's also that which i feel like we have to address because we would Mm -hmm. be remiss if we don't talk about you know some of the challenges that gambian face when they go back home i mean light going off Listen, we grew Absolutely. up like that. We're fine. Like sometimes there's no water. We have water tanks. Like we always find a way around some of those right. things. But it's the mentality part when you come back. And right. and, and sometimes mm. those can be the biggest challenges. And then you have to also take into consideration mm. that for young people, we're in our earning years. Listen, these mm-hmm. are our earning years. We went to school, got educated, mm-hmm. have the job experience because we want to build wealth, right? So you're thinking, why mm-hmm. would I stay in Gambia where the best job you can get is paying you $1,000 a month when mm-hmm. you go back to the U.S. Mm-hmm. and you're getting paid $10,000 a month? So you mm-hmm. do the math and you're thinking, well, I have mm-hmm. children that need to go to college. Well, I have mm-hmm. a lifestyle I want to I wanna maintain, especially when you have a certain standard mm-hmm. of lifestyle you want to maintain. So you come, you try, and you see, okay, first of all, there's a huge resistance. The salary is crap. The, the government has refused to mm-hmm. do a salary review for the past 20, I don't know how many years. So everyone is getting paid pennies, but then the cost of living increases. So you're like, I'm going to pack up my shit and go back home. Me, that's mm-hmm. what I did. I was like, listen, I came, mm-hmm. I saw, I tried, I'm out. So, <laughs> and I know a couple of people right. that have also done that. Now, that doesn't stop you from saying, I still want to see how I can help. But now you're thinking, how can I help from afar? From and afar. then you I mean, kudos to Nasisi. Like, really, kudos to you for sticking it through and being like, I am committed and I'm going to stay and I'm going to help figure it out. But I think there's also valid reasons why some people come and leave. And there's also valid reasons why some people don't come at all. Right. Mm. Then we also have to talk about the fact that we were under that disgusting human beings rule for 22 years and the country is traumatized. So we need some community-based mm-hmm. programs that bring together parents and schools mm-hmm. and youth so that we can play an important role in combating some of those negative post-traumatic stress that is still in our communities because yes. we can't get away from it. And I feel like, you know, when it comes to Gambian youth experiencing high levels of violent victimization, even if mm. you didn't see it. You heard about it. You are living in fear. You know a neighbor who got killed or a friend whose parent got killed. And that is still there. So I feel like there needs to be some healing as a people so that we can move forward. And I feel like if we don't do that, 
we're still going to find, you know, these loopholes that just keep bringing us down. And it can be a lot. It can be overwhelming sometimes. And you're like, well, there's no hope. But then at, at the same time, you're like, we have to do something. So it's a hard, it, it, it's a very tough place to be in. Mm. Some really mm. great points. Um, yeah, especially about the trauma. Um, <laughs> I think, you know, wow. there's the PTSD of Yaya Jame. I think our trauma even plays out even yes. more. I am a fan of therapy. I do therapy, like, when I need it, when I don't need it, I do it. In fact, I work with a um, psychotherapist here. I think she's the only psychotherapist called Sylvia Downey. She's an Italian lady who's married to Mm -hmm. um, a Gambian gentleman. But one of the biggest things is that we do not even recognize how the trauma of our parents acts out in our lives you know the fear of each other like we have an unsaid fear of each other and we all act like ideas are original like there's nothing that's original like you know we have this huge (laughs) distrust for each other um Mm-hmm. And this is trauma. Like, we don't see mm-hmm. it as trauma, but this is trauma. Um, it is. And these are things that we have now made, these myths that we think are Bible or Quran or gospel. But I also wanted to speak yes. on this, like, coming yeah. home and the importance of it. I understand we're in our wealth generation years. And again, you know, education, that's also the ideology of education because education is always political. There's this, you mm-hmm. know, I guess Paulo Freire wrote a lot about it. Um, if you haven't read The Pedagogy of the Oppressed, please read it. There's another guy called Henry Giroux and he speaks a lot about this. What are we being educated for? Because we're also being educated for the purpose of education is to generate wealth. Um, and that mm-hmm. none of us have a responsibility to mm-hmm. anything besides our own selves. And, and this allows the state to go rogue. Because when you, one of the things I did, and it's not, okay, for real, I can't afford a, generation, a generator that I can gas guzzle every single day. I don't have a mm-hmm. water tank. Well, now I do, but before I didn't, but we had good water. Um, was mm-hmm. that I found that if I made myself too comfortable I sort of immunized myself from seeing what was around me mm-hmm. you know and I I like the luxury life like I like to have my coffee mm-hmm. for like 200 dollars which is really separate because people eat 200 dollars a week which is but mm-hmm. I do that um Absolutely. so I'm not above that and I there's certain standards of living that I enjoy as well but Mm-hmm. one of the things and I was born mm-hmm. in England one of the things that so I have an EU passport but one of the things and I lived in England for 13 years I never felt English they make it clear every time they see you where are you from again where are you from again <laughs> and it's kind of like you know and no matter your <laughs> ceiling when you're black you know there's all of that but I also felt a pull to mm-hmm. come here. This is the second time I came back. But the first time I came, I was single. That's for another conversation. I got tired of people asking me, when are you going to get married? And they and say, law. So I left. But um, now that I'm here, um, it's easier because I don't get those questions anymore. So I can focus on why I'm here. But mm-hmm. one of the things mm-hmm. I've seen is that this is my country. You know, I can lay claim to this country. You know, there's like mm-hmm. my roots are here. 
So I don't need mm-hmm. nobody to welcome me. I know that's right. a double negative, but you know, I don't need anybody <laughs> to welcome me here. It took me four right. years to even get the Ministry mm-hmm. of Education to look at my proposal. Four years and three permanent secretaries. Mm. But I persisted because the work is so important that we cannot leave it to, we cannot just like put our hands up and say, ah, try now, Munatuma, Gambia, because Gambia is for us. And the West is getting worse. Even Black Americans and Black British people who can't even trace their roots to somewhere in Africa are like, I need to get off the plantation. Because it is becoming vivid (laughs) that we are not welcome here. Yeah, you can stay, you can do anything, but, you know, you can get shut Mm -hmm. or whatever. So, again, I think that's also a personal choice. And that's how I personally feel. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And I also think, if not me, then who? Who will do this work? Because even if I'm on a holiday, I want to come to Gambia where they have good customer service, that the roads work, like, now it's not off. You know, if I have a car accident on yeah. holiday, that the hospitals right. work and all of those things. But who is going to do that work? And then there's another thinking that, oh, right. again, you know, there's this dichotomy of diaspora Gambia, Gamb- diaspora locals that I think we really need to get over. Like, I lived in the diaspora four years ago. We're just Gambian. Mm-hmm. That's who we are. You know, I've been in conversations where I've had people from the diaspora right. say, Oh, you know, in Gambia, like, we, do, we don't know how we can trust you. I'm like, oh, you know, you Gambians, do you even use Excel or Word? And I'm just like, we're not, like, a lot of Gambians come home, you know, we're not crazy. So we need to get over that dichotomy. Again, that has a white right. thing, that how you do things over there right. and the standards over yeah. there are better than the standards here. And that's not true if you judge a fish by the way it climbs mm. its tree you know it's going to be stupid for the rest of its life we need to mm-hmm. look at the historical context of why are we where we are today mm-hmm. you know if we talk about dependency why is that you know there's a many there's a million aid agencies here that mm-hmm. over 75 years they have shown nothing but a park i'm not going to name them but i think who you know who we are so if the mm-hmm. aid if wow. the reason for um, aid mm-hmm. is development but these people make money of, of mm-hmm. our underdevelopment do you think that they're going to root for us to be developed no so who can, who can do that work who is vested exactly. to do that work I, don't, I want my exactly. children to be able to choose to live in the Thank Gambia you. and I don't want them to feel like it's a sacrifice so I want to make that sacrifice mm-hmm. myself and then when Absolutely. we talk about grassroots, there's so Absolutely. many people who do grassroots work. One of the organizations mm-hmm. I can think about is Activista. They have about 6,000 volunteers around the country um, in all sectors that, you know, they go and talk to communities about their rights, you know, and they work mm-hmm. on the consciousness of, a, of the people. Because we can have all kind of propaganda. You need this, you have this right. But if the people do not get to the point of realizing that, hey, this is not right. Why is our president parading on the road with 400 new Nissan Pathfinders mm-hmm. when we can't eat and we're on the side roads clapping, which is something he did this week? Or why ha- how has he just generated all that wealth to build mm. two story buildings in mm-hmm. Mankamakunda and my children are still working three kilometers and they tell me that there's no money for schools? Mm-hmm. Until people get to that point, we will not have change. Mm. So who 
like we have to work with the people and this is the value of knowledge like we have knowledge so that we can better our societies but we don't the knowledge is not just mm-hmm. it's also not just knowledge that we have i have learned so much from people in communities like i think of myself as dumb beyond dumb four years that i came here i had no clue nothing like the way people listen here, like they listen with their whole bodies, you know, the way that people communicate, the way that people to cooperate even along lines of differences here is phenomenal. This is stuff that you pay $12,000 mm-hmm. for, for a workshop in the West and people are doing it here beyond your eyes. I know because I've been to some of those worship, workshops where they teach you transparent mm-hmm. communication or whatever it is, you know. Um, or conscious listening mm-hmm. or whatever, mm-hmm. you know? But this is here in our communities. Mm-hmm. Our communities have knowledge. So when we go to communities, we shouldn't think like, I'm bringing something. We're all learners. We're all learning. Right. Right. Um, but I would say to, um, you know, going to Anna's point, and I think now you, you spoke about it as well, is that, you know, the diaspora, diaspora, whatever you want to call us, like, you know, people that studied from outside, Gambian people that studied from the Gambia, you know, Gambians that studied from the outside or West or whatever, come back. And, um, you know, we come in with open arms to come in and build and to come in and give and, and all that. But we are fought every, like every turn. Um, you know, I'm, I'm living it and I'm still living it. I mean, these, these are conversations that actually I had last night with a friend of ours who was also thinking about um, taking the leap of faith and coming back and saying, hey, I want to do this. And, and, you know, we were laughing about it. I was like, man, if I tell you all the obstacles, but, um, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change it because I know that um, the, the little impact that I'm doing in, our, in my community um, is satisfying. It's something that, um, you know, I could be spending, like Anna said, you know, um, spending my time, you know, accumulating more wealth. Um, But I've chosen the other way to say, no, I'm going to come in and give my time and give my resources and empty my savings to come in and put something for Gambian people and for Gambian women and, and, and Gambian youth. Now, you would say somebody like that is selfless and coming in and doing this. So the government will be right back, you know, behind you to help subsidize some of these things that you're doing for youth. We're talking about some of the issues, you know, education, um, because right now, even in the United States themselves, they're looking at different ways of traditional, um, informal and and traditional education, which one is best. Um, They're talking about, you know, going away from the resumes and putting the Ivy League schools and all that. Um, I'm all for that, you know, I love it. But I also know that not every person is for Ivy League. Not every person, I mean, you look at it from your own kids. You know, you see the kids that just naturally could pass every exam. Like I have that with my own kids. And then the other one that struggles, that you know that, you know what, that's just not for them. Does not make them any less smarter than the other. And, and you know, to provide non, you know, non-traditional skills training or any other thing, putting, putting them in. Um, um, you know, you look at our sports culture in the Gambia. I mean, it's, a, it's, it's, it's we're trying. I mean, I'm seeing things that, you know, soccer is doing, but we could produce way, way more in sports. But sports is not like looked at a form of, um, of education. 
um, you know, that, oh, it's just, you know, extracurricular, so it's, it's nothing. And Lord and behold, you hold a basketball and go home. Your dad will be like, did I tell you to go to school for basketball? Um, or are you, you know, are you going for a formal education? But I think we have so many things that we need to look at as a country. Um, what's important? What's not important? Um, you know, uh, I always say the new term, you know, the terminology, making agriculture sexy again. Um, because for the long time, Bekati, you know, people that are in agriculture are like, oh, they're uneducated. They, you know, um, it's it's one thing that nobody wants to do that. I remember, you know, my uh, family, my dad's family um, from the country in Senegal, they'll come in and I will talk to them. Oh, wow, you're in agriculture. And they're like, yeah, like, and, and I was like, that's amazing. And they're like, really? Like, nobody wants to do that. They're like, Damabugamelnio? And I'm like, no, I want to be in agriculture. That's where the money is. No, 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 no. You don't want to be in that, like the famiti. And so now agriculture is like, you know, um, people now are making uh, good money and, and pushing for that and how it can um, not only help uh, build wealth, but also help uh, feed a community or feel, um, feel like you feeding the nation. And so I think there's so much more that we can think about um, in terms of education um, that we can unpack. Um, but I wanted to touch on, on uh, some of the um, skills training that you would say um, yes. that are in the country. And um, is, is there anything that you can share in terms of um, skills development um, that you've seen in the rural parts of the Bagayam? Because I know they exist um, in in the urban parts, at least for 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 some of them that I'm that I'm familiar with. Sure. But so what's I'd your like take on to, that? Let me just answer a few things that you touched on that really hit the mark on me. One was that when you got here, that the government okay. was not willing yeah. to join hands with you. What I will say to anyone who's thinking of coming home is that it right. takes time, and there are people in the government who are sick of the government and the way the government operates. So it's trying to find or build allyship with these people that actually want to change and change things, but don't believe they have the power to. So when they, when they mm -hmm. see you and they know that you actually want to change things and then you see them as an ally and it's an exchange relationship, they are some of the greatest people that can move things for you and that you can also help them move things. So I always say find a coalition of the willing not everybody's going to welcome you, you know, like people, there are many people who think I'm crazy, who think my school's too expensive. There's a lot of that. But then there's people who actually see the work that you do. Mm -hmm. So when you do work, you also need to think, who is it for? Mm -hmm. So if you're looking to be recognized by the government or other people, that mm -hmm. may be slow to come because they have a different agenda, like I talk about the government as an apparatus. But if you take it to the people who right. need it, like you'll be overwhelmed with their need and you'll be overwhelmed mm -hmm. with their response. Mm -hmm. So on the technical skills, mm -hmm. um, you know, when we think of education, again, we think of human beings as being one dimensional. Are you an art student? Are you a science student? Like you fit into that box. Mm -hmm. It's like, what the hell? You know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. a surgeon is an artist. Mm -hmm. The way that he stitches a right. stitch is art, you know? Um, you see nowadays surgeons mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. my cousin Keba, mm -hmm. you'll see him wearing like a wax scrub, you know. And if you're a doctor, you know, you bring your personality right. also to the work. So what we need to be thinking right. is how do we educate the whole human mm -hmm. being? 
you know now we have this craze about fear and like we have where i get asked oh but my foy i'm so worried my four year old isn't reading my four year old isn't writing reading and writing is not the measure of intelligence um yeah your four year old there's many people who can write their names yeah. but they can't think the education has to be aligned to development what is it mm. that and there's so much science behind this but there's also so much propaganda about oh at this level this child needs mm-hmm. to do this at this level this child needs to do that can you imagine like sitting in mm-hmm. an office and having to mm-hmm. behave exactly right. like the next doctor or the next business person yep. or the next consultant that's like crazy you want to bring your own flair right. so we need to give the child the space mm-hmm. to develop and to develop their interest right. We can't say, okay, you failed A-level, mm-hmm. so you go to technical schools. I have no interest in technical schools, possibly. I want to be a mathematician. Right. You know, there's many people who failed math right. and they're mathematicians. But what we need to do right. is widen the yeah. curriculum at the early age. We need to get rid of testing. I know that this is crazy, but we need to get rid of testing. No, I am 100% be- be- with you on that. I hate testing because... Oh my goodness! I mean, that's <laughs> well, a whole other story. I think well, we'll be here for tomorrow. Testing is not for that. everybody. Some people are very, uh, um, uh, they're they're not good at all in standardized testing. That's myself included. Oh my God, I am yeah. horrible at it. But you know, I mean, yeah, <laughs> come to figure, right? I had to take literally like twenty standardized tests in my life to become a doctor and be board certified. But let me tell you that from the first standardized test that I ever took, right? I was horrible at it. But can you imagine if I was in a space where that defined who yeah. I am? Yep. I would not be mm-hmm. a physician. I am, mm-hmm. I am 100% mm-hmm. with you guys. Like st- just because somebody, a standardized test does not really tell you much about some intelligence. It doesn't. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know mm-hmm. someone mentioned mm-hmm. Ivy Leagues. I think Ivy mm-hmm. League schools. Um, you know that whole college scandal that went on. Mm-hmm. We now know wide open that actually it's not the brightest mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. best who go to Ivy Leagues. It's people who have the privilege mm-hmm. of whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But when we educate for the whole human being, the person knows exactly. their interests. They know themselves. So we need to not just mm-hmm. widen eyes. We need to also mm-hmm. change the way we train teachers. I think teacher training is so critical. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, I'm, obviously I'm a Montessorian, so that's what I'm going to advocate for. But do look into it. It's like a whole human being mm-hmm. training. Like you come into the classroom, you are the model for behavior. Like, you can't be screaming, right. to the child, Absolutely. and you expect the child to be respectful. No. Yes. You cannot ask the child, you know, our children say no. Exactly. And I myself struggle with boundaries, like saying no to people. Like, you know, I have some Scandinavian friends, and they'll just be like, just tell them no. Like, it's mm-hmm. the easiest thing to do. For me, it's like, hey, I have like this conditioning that I run, mm-hmm. run it through, will they be upset? Will they think that da 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 But it's like, <laughs> yes. yes. And you that's know, that's, the, that's the game that I'm trying to work yeah. But you have like a two-year-old yeah. tell you no and no explanation. You mm-hmm. want to do this? No, I don't want to do this. Or they'll tell you, wait for me. I am mm-hmm. busy right now. Mm-hmm. You know, or 
I can't do this right now with such authority. Right. Why? Because they know themselves. So we have so much to learn from young children. Right. So on the technical skills, like we have children Absolutely. that are six making chairs from plywood at my school, connecting electrical circuits, like, mm-hmm. you know, and things like that because they have the exposure to the stuff they are mm-hmm. allowed to discover without the interruption of an adult. Mm-hmm. Because again, the way our classrooms are done is kind of schizophrenic. That mm-hmm. you have 50 minutes, every 50 minutes. Within 50 minutes, you're just settling mm-hmm. in. You know, the classrooms mm-hmm. are chaotic. The walls have a million things in them. That mm-hmm. affects your concentration. And there's research for all of this. It's not just crazy now talking, you know. Yeah, I'm a little bit crazy. But right. um, so right. all of that... Um, matters so do we have technical training schools yes um they're like a second resort just like teaching teaching mm-hmm. is also a second resort you don't get into the police force like right. people prefer to be police than teachers i'm just right. like what people leave the teaching yes. profession to wow. go and be, I'm yes. like what no, i know <laughs> but this is this is what we do yes. yeah you don't get into nursing yes. you don't get into the police force there's gambia college um so we need to like rethink the whole thing. And it's not that we need to do a pum, 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 pum. We need to go back and this takes time and it takes attention and it takes detail. It's not a quick fix. Yeah, we need technical training, but who is right. doing it? If you have a carpenter that has yeah. no passion for the work, like the lady who does my hair has a salon. She's quite affluent. Mm-hmm. But you will see that she will take one twist and like retwist it. She has a passion for that work. So it's not like, oh, okay, you're paying me 350 and I'll just twist your hair and go. But she's like, make sure everything is right. And that's what we need. We need people who are driven mm-hmm. by passion. And how can you have passion? You speak mm-hmm. to any 12 year, 12th grader and you ask them, mm-hmm. what are you interested in? Oh, I don't know. Well, or they'll regurgitate mm-hmm. whatever they, yeah, long. We have 3,000 lawyers. Law. Like, who are we litigating? Law. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) I don't get it. Yes, I don't get it. Everybody wants to study law. Everybody wants to be a journalist because that's all they see. Exactly. And that's that's the point I was going to drive at. We don't value the essential workers. We don't value the teachers, the the, the, the nurses. we don't like we don't value those people that men people make yep. fun of them yeah. on the streets you know what i mean we consider the lowest yeah, of society so what, what who are the ones that yes. people look up to well if you say you're a doctor lawyer. if you say that you're a, you're you're a you're a lawyer, you are a lead, huh? minister 95% of people yeah. are calling themselves doctors but i digress that's a whole different story but yes. my Everybody is so stuck yeah. on titles. So no, obviously everybody wants to be, yes. hey, money demabuga important. So I'm gonna know what that person who yes. is, you know, considered important is yeah. doing. That's what I want. And I don't mm-hmm. know, that's the problem. But mm-hmm. nah, um other than mm-hmm. uh, GTTI, are there any other places that young people can go? <laughs> yes, there are. I the, um To go back to your thing about title, education is a continuous (laughs) process. But here we have the, I'm a lawyer, so now I can chill. I'm a doctor, I do not, I'm done Um, with learning, you know. Mm -hmm. I know it all. And I think that is one of the dangers um, Mm -hmm. of 
titling like mm. don't have any title just do the work but you know um so yeah there's a lot of um technical training mm-hmm. schools i think you know the eu is funding quite a few um a lot of doing hairdressing okay. and sewing and things like that so it's for me again it it just speaks to the system we're all doing the same thing sewing hairdressing da 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 you know like you could look now photography yeah. is the rage so we have a thousand yeah. photographers a thousand journalists you know and it's mm-hmm. like people are just doing whatever they think the market wants and that's yeah. not the purpose you can create the market you know if you're doing something exactly. out of fashion who would have thought facebook was anything that you put pictures yeah. and make millions of or twitter but these people actually had the right. space and they were well facebook guy went to a montessori right. school so did the amazon guy jeff bezos not that they're the models of um, great values but there you go right um right. <laughs> they are my no, kids I mean, went to oh no no talking so about the, montessori. the other guy yeah, right. the facebook guy mark zuckerberg um and they're 30 billion Yes. 30 Facebook guy. A not yes. paying workers has a pay. That's what I was referring yes. to, but I digress. Um, so, what were we again? <laughs> yes, so the skills are doing no, the you're same talking thing. About the and skill I just center. wonder how many yes. of us uh, are doing that. You know, how many, like, um, yeah, right. photographies. There's so many things that could be done. So one of the things mm. that a friend of mine called Joanna, we yeah. went into the communities and with the schools that we're working with, again, like, I guess the work is integrated. So the mothers clubs are a huge part of the schools. And Joanna has this brand called Mixed Grill that she sells in Sweden. And she's got a very um, successful children's wear brand. And, you know, when I go to speak to them about their vision for their children, they're mm-hmm. just like, we need work. Like, we need to tie-dye. So you'll find that all the villages have been taught to tie-dye and mm-hmm. make soap. Um, and there's no market to link it to. So mm-hmm. they're just selling amongst themselves. So obviously that's not sustainable. But we decided that yeah. we'll take, and there's knowledge. We found this guy right. that's like, a professional dyer like many generations behind he's tried so many like natural dyes so we're taking going to and the village just have expressed interest so we're going to have them tie dye a few things um for us and joanna's going to sell it to raise money for teach for the gambia so we're trying to see what skills are needed we're also trying to do some toy production but there's a lot of skill centers that have also been built by NGOs, but ha- mm-hmm. are not sustained. So there's VTTI, I think, um, you know, YEP is building a few skill centers right. around the country too. Um, I know GTTI was being trying, they were trying to upgrade it mm-hmm. to uh, university. I'm not sure what the rationale for that is. I don't yes. really do a lot of higher education. Yes. But, you know, I think that's, you know, a lot of the polytechniques right. around the world were also transformed yeah. to universities. I don't know the rationale for that either. But again, skills training, like you need to have skilled people to do mm-hmm. skill training. Mm-hmm. So if we've not been producing skilled people and we depend on Senegalese right. carpenters, etc. Why mm-hmm. not? Although I do know good carpenters who live in the diaspora mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. But it's, yeah, I'm not sure where we are. But it's the fact that we think that mm-hmm. learning is one thing. You know, like basket weaving is something, or any form of weaving is right. mathematics. 
it's mathematics, it's coordination of the hand, it's an art. These are yeah. things that belong in our classrooms at, right. from like birth. Like, not like, okay, you feel grade 12 now, off you go here, right. you are you're a reject of the system, basically. So I think we need to change that mindset. And we need to change the specialization at high school. Like you're 12 years old or 14 years old. How in the world do you know that you want to be an art student? And I know there's people who know they wanted to be a lawyer or a doctor from birth, but for the rest of us who are still figuring it out, (laughs) you know, I've had like six careers. Right. I mean, yeah, that's true though. I mean, I must say, but, but yeah, but I must say too, that it was because of representation, you know, it mattered. Like, you know, maybe they saw somebody else or something. Like for me, I wanted to be in finance forever because I saw my mom like every day coming home and I'm like, she counts money. I want money. (laughs) Right. <laughs> so, but yeah, um, Anna, what's your take? I um, just to, wanted to hear from you. Yeah, I know I'm I'm quiet. I'm just taking it in right now. But right. I wanted to bring it bring up ICT because I feel like when it comes to our children competing on the international mm-hmm. and global level, I feel like mm-hmm. having kids who went to school in Gambia, I saw the lack of access to computers and laptops and even though, you know, when it comes to mm-hmm. vocational training, it, it remains problematic in terms of mm-hmm. implementation, right? Because when it comes mm-hmm. to the ministries that are in charge, although the opportunities are there to promote e-learning, the lack of preparation of participants mm-hmm. to in the subsector has prevented initiatives to be put forward um, for, for gaining much traction. So... Mm-hmm. You also have another key factor that holds us from, from moving forward in ICT is the cost of internet access and the lack of training, mm-hmm. training of, of learners in these online tools. So in, in most countries, even in Gambia, like classes, you don't find computers. You go to libraries, you don't find computers. And so it affects our children in a way where I remember bringing my kids back from Gambia and in elementary school, they all have their, um, their laptops from my, and my son is seven years old. And when we're in Gambia, he had access to computer, but that's because we had a computer for him in his bedroom. And I remember even his friends who are supposed to be coming from affluent, you know, families who went to his same schools and these are private schools. They were so amazed that he had a computer in his bedroom. So priorities when it comes to ICT, even for the parents who have been exposed, when they come back, it's like they don't make it a top priority. It's like what they're doing at school is enough. And I feel like one of the things that was so disappointing for me coming back home was meeting people who got educated abroad but it's like they come home and the mentality completely changes. It's like everything they knew, they threw it to the wind and they're like, we're back to just thinking basic. And I'm, I know that I'm a conscious parent and my, my siblings call me a hippie because being a conscious parent is about letting go of your parental ego and your desires mm-hmm. and your attachments. So instead of forcing behavior on your children, you focus on their own language and their expectations and what are their self-regulation? So, and mm-hmm. you need your partner to be on the same page. I remember when I told my husband, I was like, I'm deciding to be a conscious parent. And this is only going to work if you join 
if, if we do it together. So he was like, okay, we did some reading. We read Dr. Shafali. We read um, books about being an awakened parent. But then when mm. it came to the practice of it, like if he's yelling at my son because he's teaching him math, I will call him out and I say, why are you yelling at him? Because this mm-hmm. is not about him. How, he's, mm-hmm. he, how is he answering two plus two that's making you upset? How is he not getting it as fast as you want him that's making you upset? So this has to do with you. Is it your childhood mm-hmm. trauma? Was your dad yelling at you when you did math? <laughs> did you fail math? Did you not like your math right. teacher? So it takes right. a lot for, for the couple to be on the same yeah. page. But I feel mm-hmm. like it's work that we need to do because mm-hmm. when you know better, you do better. And it's so right. disappointing. I can't express my disappointment when I get to Gambia and I'm looking at women who come to Marina school every day in their nice African outfit and their nice head tie and they're driving nice cars and their daughters don't have pads. And my daughter is having to pass out pads because that's not a priority. Or they say, Auntie Anna, we want to talk to you. My mommy doesn't talk to me. So I'm just saying, as a people, there's so much we need to do at home before we Mm -hmm. even look at the educational system. We need to do better. And when you know better, you do better. So don't get educated in London and, and Spain and Italy, and then you come back, and then you just pick up where you left off, like Demulofen. Right. Like that to me baffles me till this day. I don't know if you have any you, experience with that now. My parents? But yeah, that was just one of I the just, things. I just wanted to quickly, like, yeah, yeah. I was gonna, yeah. I think, I think she wants you to do that. But I was just gonna say, when it comes to ICT, I think that's another hour. Like maybe we need to do just an episode just on ICT because you know we're passionate about that. Mm-hmm. Um. So that is a lot so, to unpack Anna, there. But yeah. Anna, I want to Anna hear you know, your, your points. points. Lots um, of it. And call our parents, please. <laughs> I'm a major fan of Dr. Shafari Shabari. Um, and that's one of the reasons that I'm in therapy. I am trying to raise my children. I might as well be an alien on, Ma- on Mars. Mm-hmm. Like, in a way that I was not raised. My mom, she would not even yell. She would look at you. If you did something wrong, right. she would beat you in front of company. That's like how she was. She was like, I'm not waiting till they leave. I'm going to beat you now. Because uh, <laughs> I might you forget. So well. If I shame you enough, <laughs> you're going to do it next time. Um, but at the same time, I left home quite early. But I think just right. like I'm being raised by my children. And it's mm-hmm. tough because my ego comes into play especially in a society where other people Mm -hmm. aren't and in a society that Mm -hmm. the superficial is so important Mm -hmm. you know um i buy one set of clothes for my kids and one pair of shoes and they wear it um and then we change you know come on nah you can't do them like that I'm not of the notion that they need things um, <laughs> or that they need that attachment to things. What if we can't afford it anymore? And again, mm-hmm. that is some right. part of conditioning, but they're not even aware. Like they're like, okay, you know, I've, I've got a ketchup stain on my t-shirt. I don't care. I'm going to go. Sometimes I'm like, there's a hole in the t-shirt. Let's change it. But you know, again, and that's why I think therapy is important <laughs> for all of us. You know, if we're going to raise a generation of greatness, mm-hmm. we need to do things differently. What I will say is that that difference is yeah. not Western. 
like when you look at African indigenous ways of how we raised our children, it wasn't through beating. Who introduced beating? Yeah. Who wanted to suppress and dominate? You know, um, it was really through Eda. Mm-hmm. You speak to your child, you know, mm-hmm. you show them the world. And that was, that's mm-hmm. the nature of parenting. So when mm-hmm. you see even tribes that mm-hmm. have maintained so much of their indigenous values, like the Fula have something called Palaku, which is a code of conduct that includes compassion and courage and things like that, that we're not aware of. You know, the Syrians have something they call loot. Like when you see a Syrian mm-hmm. person that is like from a Syrian village that has been raised there, they have this air of self-knowledge, of self-confidence, you know, um, of knowledge of their selves. So all of this, because I think parenting is one of the places mm-hmm. that your ego comes into play the most because you are like, okay, you know, if my child's not like this, this is a reflection on me, so I'll take it out on my child. Mm-hmm. Um, so having that consciousness mm-hmm. about you mm-hmm. is a huge thing. But th- that's a problem. Yeah. Like if we were educated for consciousness as opposed to being educated, we would turn out to be completely different. And I think this is Mm -hmm. what our education system needs to focus on. Because testing is off the ego. It's not like, Mm -hmm. you know, you're better than this one. You're competing with this one. Mm -hmm. It's not looking at your, you know, it's all about yourself, Mm -hmm. yourself, yourself. But if you have Mm -hmm. that awareness Mm -hmm. of yourself, you have Mm -hmm. that freedom. And that's another word we don't like. Mm-hmm. We can talk about freedom all day long. But one of the biggest things you hear in education spaces or anywhere is how mm-hmm. indisciplined we are. That mm-hmm. indiscipline they're talking about is control. It's like we need to control you because you don't mm-hmm. know how to act. But the reason we struggle with freedom is yeah. we're not free. We don't encourage freedom in our schools, in our right. anywhere else. Who are you to say that the next person, whether you gave birth to them or not, mm-hmm. that you will control their lives? You know, but here we're not even talking about children. We're talking about people in our social group, Mm -hmm. you know, like, oh, you can't wear that. Or, you know, you can't talk about that or you can't do that. Mm -hmm. Like we have this dominance thing. Right. We need to examine this. What are we afraid of? What are we afraid of, of people being free? Um, The ICT one. Right. So I'm going to quote World Bank. I only quote them when it favors me. So World Bank did this research on teaching and what was effective teaching practice, but they're not the (laughs) only ones. There's been a lot of research, I think, dating back to the 90s about computers in classrooms and the fact that not only is it ineffective, but it's actually detrimental to learning. I'll try and find the World Bank report and send it to you. All right, now, um, we just wanted to hear um, pretty much from you um, some of the uh, questions that Anna raised, you know, your take on that. Sure. So Anna um, raised, I think, the conscious parent point I've already gone through. But I'll just speak on ICT. Um, You know, there's a lot of compelling research that, computers in the classroom do not serve, are not only not in service to learning, but they're also detrimental to learning. And I think some of that comes from when I was in sixth form, which was around 1999. Mm. Um, You know, the World Bank has a report on basically how to build great teachers. um, And it actually talks 
says, and I will find that report and send it to you because it's in my email, but it talks about actually computers not being beneficial in classrooms and being detrimental to learning and advises that um, computers are kept outside of the classroom and used for teacher preparation. So the teacher can use the computer to do their research, etc., um, but not use them in the classroom with the children. Now, you know, all these people from Silicon Valley, like Facebook, you know, he had no access to computers before the age of six. And both him and Google founders, Sergey mm-hmm. Brin and Jeff Bezos, who are like who we think about when we talk about when we think about ICT and the power of technology, apart from Bill Gates, all went to Montessori school where they ha- didn't have that access either. Mm-hmm. And they credit Montessori school with having with being who they are today. I mean, I think Montessorians will say that maybe their values are not so Montessori, mm-hmm. but, you know, in terms of their creativity and their innovation. But what we need to look at, there's a New York Times, um, I think it's, but there's a lot of article, and I will find that for you, where it talks about, you know, the people who are making these policies about schools, about testing, about ICT, etc. where are they sending their children? They're sending their children to schools that they can choose what they like all day, be what they're interested in. They don't have the pressure of testing. They have mm-hmm. no access to computers or the internet. Um, mm-hmm. And they're thriving. You know, when you look mm-hmm. at Silicon Valley, they invest in Montessori schools. There's a high mm-hmm. concentration of Montessori and Waldorf schools. So when, I, when we talk about, okay, what is the rage and ICT is so important, like, my son didn't have access to a computer. Like, and then one day during the thing, during the, what are we on? The COVID period, <laughs> pandemic. Yeah, we mm-hmm. gave him, like, we didn't give him, he started to do, use paint. And he was able to draw and use a buggy using geometric figures. And we were like, wow, like, he's never used paint before. He's never even used a computer before. So this is not... Computer is just figuring out. Nobody taught me to use the computer. I remember my grand, one of my uncles had a Mac and I was fiddling around with it. And I taught myself. But there is a time and place for everything. The human being like, needs to be educated according to its developmental needs. Mm-hmm. And we need to ask why we go against the grain of what we know in science and in neuroscience about how it works according to learning. Why are we doing that? Mm-hmm. You know? what kind of agency and proficiency, what kind of beings are we doing? Because education is always political, whether you know it or not. The policies and everything is to create a kind of society. Mm-hmm. What is that society? Right. You know, is it a democratic society where people are free to think? Like what government wants free thinkers, really and truly, mm-hmm. like around the world? What government's going to invest in free thinking? Like people who are going to say, cause a ruckus about their policies or injustice. Mm-hmm. Very few governments. And mm-hmm. we can see evidence of that, how... Mm-hmm. In the pandemic, there's been so much repression of movements, you know, mm-hmm. most, I think all of you live in the U.S. or have lived in the U.S., so you can see what that is. Right. Um, so I think parents, like there's this podcast called Citizens um, Ed, and it's so useful. It's about parents taking power. One of the biggest things I see in education here is taking parents out of the classroom now, I'll say that's like a double-edged sword. Sometimes the parents do need to be in the, out of the classroom so you can serve the child. Mm-hmm. Because your work as an educator is to serve the child, not to serve the parents. Right. 
And there's always a conflict between the parent's ego and what the child needs. So there needs to be that distinction. But the parent is the most important person in the child's life. Mm -hmm. Our schools are so separate from from our communities, you know, like, I went to school in the U.S. You know what that looks like. You, a bus picks you up. Your parent doesn't know what happens. In six weeks, they set, send a report. I don't even think we had like parent day when I went to high school or something like that. It was just like they communicate with you. In the, you have no idea what your children are learning in the classroom. You have no idea. You don't, and there's also what's called the hidden curriculum. You know, I think Henry Giroux speaks about that, that the first time he was in the classroom, like he was like, oh, he, you know, he had been mm-hmm. in a, like a socialist school before where they were cooperating and like learning. And he went to like a regular school at six or something. And they were sitting next to each other. And he was, you know, trying to work with a friend. And they were like, no, don't do that. The teacher was like, no, don't do that. And he learned that actually my purpose here is to compete and not to collaborate. So what are those mm-hmm. messages that are ingrained in that? So when people talk about curriculum, curriculum mm-hmm. is kind of important but it's not the gist of it. Curriculum mm-hmm. is content. It's like, right. okay, you learn this, 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 this. Right. But what matters is pedagogy. Right. How am I learning this? Right. What am I getting from learning in this way? Exactly. And you wouldn't believe in the Gambia, our teachers are not trained in pedagogy. Mm. They're not. They're just trained on content and delivery matters, how you deliver that. It's very mm-hmm. different if you stand the next front of, in front of the child and say, P-I-N-K, pink, P-I-N-K, pink. What right. is a P-I-N-K, pink? Right. And it's very different from when you show a child many things in pink. You have one-to-one time with them. Mm-hmm. You listen to their ideas. They can tell mm-hmm. you about the pink dress. Mm-hmm. You're encouraging them to speak publicly. You're in- telling them that their views matter, that right. they have value, inherent value. They're worth listening to. Like now you could, there's people who go to Ivy League and they don't believe in their inherent values. So mm. I think it's so important that we pay attention to these little details. You can learn to use a computer at 50, you know, yeah. like parents ask me, oh, what about French? Like we tried French last year. We stopped it mm-hmm. because there's a particular set of ideology that comes with the French language that we just didn't feel like as a school that wants to decolonize or like, you know, I have a decolonized mentality mm-hmm. for the Pan-African child to feel like they are enough that having a French teacher would serve that purpose. Mm-hmm. And we learn from experience. People tell you about the need for extracurricular activities. Mm-hmm. I learned, you know, I learned that I couldn't run at a young age. So what was the point trying? I learned I was useless in sports. So what was mm-hmm. the point trying, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's the habit that I have today. Like once in a while I go for a walk, but I'm not a mm-hmm. sporty person. Right. Whereas my son didn't really have any natural sports skills. But because no one made a commentary about, yeah, you're good. No, you're better than this one. Mm-hmm. He just kept trying and trying and trying. Mm-hmm. And where you can beat him in skill, you cannot beat him in persistence. Mm-hmm. And you cannot beat him in perseverance. And that's what matters. It doesn't matter how good you are. It's mm-hmm. a skill. Learn it. Right. But we are telling our children, no, you're not good in math. This one is better than you. I've been to mm-hmm. classrooms because I go and observe a lot. And people tell you, oh, this, you know, this child is not that intelligent. The mm-hmm. smart ones are oh, in this class. Yes. Oh, like, yes. what kind of message are you sending to kids? Right. You know, the, the slow mm-hmm. learners. Mm-hmm. Well, you, you know, know I, I have to gag myself because there's no slow <laughs> learner. There's only slow teachers. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. Thank you. There isn't you. a slow learner. It's yes. like the way you, you, you haven't reached the child. You don't know how they learn. 
That's right. why they're not learning. What you're teaching them is of no interest. Can you imagine if I came to teach you, mm-hmm. I don't know, how to bake a cake and you had no interest in that? Like, why would you listen? And that's what we do in schools every single day. And I'm that's so sorry. True. I know you guys are probably sleepy now. No, no. no. It's... You're, making such a, you're making such a good point. No, you know, that makes a lot of uh, sense to me. You remember how we used to have like primary one, primary two, up to six, but it's like A, B, C, D. And then people that are in like D or E are considered like the dumbest of the bunch. Do you guys remember that? Yep. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Remember just all that drama. Like, Based on what know, that's saying, right? The A was the best, the B yes. class. You know, obviously I was in the, well, I was in the B class and then I got promoted to the A class. And, you know, I'm coming in from a whole different country with the, without yeah. the language. You know, I came from Spanish and then going into English. But, you know, these are things that, you know, that's what I'm saying. It, it, like you, Anna, talk, I mean, not Anna, sorry, I'm not talking. Like, it's bringing back so much memories of, you know, my childhood, um, you know, the school. And then what I was privileged, uh, privileged enough to give my children, you know, the Montessori um, early education and I see the difference between what I've had and um, what they're having right now um, even though right now they're not in um, Montessori anymore but through their primary years were Montessori you know my son going in from traditional because he started from a traditional school and going into Montessori and how that helped him and you're right like computers were not part of the deal like uh like in the u.s in their montessori school everything was hands-on i mean they learn how to you know grow their own food um carpentry work you know things out of the ordinary and i love that about them until now they're very creative even though they're creative you know you still have the the amount of education and, and knowledge that they want to do and they want to instill on themselves like I don't have to say much. They just know when to get up and do what they need to do. Mm-hmm. Like they were using work plans before I started using work plans. Mm-hmm. And these are kids because <laughs> of the structure and to know, oh, Monday, this is, my, this is my schedule and so on. But, you know, in terms of ICT, just to go back to Anna's, um, you know, question is I'm not for lots of computers and so on, like, you know, through the early years, because I think children need to, <laughs> Um, have critical way of thinking, have to have that um, hands-on knowledge and all that that we can give them through the, you know, informal classroom or whatever. But at some point, you know, technology needs to be introduced because (laughs) it is the future. It is the future. Like right now, you know, I mean, Gambia is really lagging behind. And we know that, you know, COVID is one example um, how, you know, aside from even education, just even, um, you know, adults that are working and how things had to stop because of that. We know now how edu- um, te- through technology, um, things are better, like agriculture to check in, you know, soil and water and so on and so forth. There's, there's lots of things that agriculture has done that have been really um, beneficial. Um, I mean, technology has done that has been really beneficial. So just to say that, you know, we're not saying that technology is bad, obviously it's good, but we're just saying it's a time and a place for it. Um, you know, so that the parents that are listening, just to kind of get the, that clear, there's, there's always a time and a place, like, you know, giving kids phones and so on and so forth. We know the detrimental um, things that could happen just by exposing them so much. Um, so, 
But um, let's do a quick wrap up because I know we've been in this um, in these topics for a while. So let's do a quick wrap up. Um, Anna, um, give us your takeaways or anything that you want to share, final thoughts, so on. Yeah, so um, I guess after having this very interesting um, discussion and uh, I'm so glad we were able to hear from you. You have dropped so many gems and I hope our listeners especially our Gambian listeners because today is really focused on education in the Gambia will walk away with some some food for thought Um, and I know you know as you stated definitely when it comes to the top education system the U.S. is not even in the Mm -hmm. top 10 but um, I have to say what I appreciate about coming back to the U.S. and having my my kids go back to school is that um, now you had mentioned how, you know, back in the day, they didn't have, even have parent-teacher mm-hmm. conferences, um, but there have been some improvements and they have something called the dojo. So with the dojo, you're able to communicate with your, with your um, children's mm-hmm. teachers and, you, and they keep you abreast on what they're learning, how they're doing, mm-hmm. what's going on. And if there's anything missing, they alert you. If they see changes in behavior, they alert you. So it's also a way where you're able to, you know, really track your child's Mm -hmm. progress. And again, I shared that I'm a conscious parent. And as as a conscious parent, I report cards to me are nothing. Like I know my younger sister was like, wait, I don't get it. Like, so you know, you don't, you don't care. And I'm like, no, because that doesn't make my children who they are, these A's and B's and, you know, and they both great students, but I always tell them your, your self-worth is not wrapped up in this report Mm -hmm. card. And that's just how we function. And, and um, I just feel like for the Gambian educational system, I would love to see more parents really involved in challenging the schools because even while my child was both my children were at marina i remember an incident where i asked the teachers where is the spelling program they didn't have a spelling program so they're asking a five-year-old what did you do this weekend and she'll say or he'll say i went to the restaurant this one will say i went i was jumping on a trampoline and and then the teacher would go great spell trampoline I'm like, wait, excuse me, at five, should they not be spelling sight words? Like that's the level that Mm -hmm. they're at. And I took it to the principal and I had just one parent who supported me in stopping the spelling until they trained the teachers on a spelling program and move forward. What I got instead was a whole other group of parents who were against me because for them, they thought I was attacking Mm -hmm. the teacher. So there's this godlike mentality we give to teachers and educational administrators that I would love to see just gone in our in our education system because it doesn't serve the children. It's just an ego booster for the parents and and for the right. teachers. So that's what I would just would love to see more involvement from the parents in the school system and with their children. Good, good points. Really good points. Um, um, What about you, um, Nafi? First, I want to thank Na. Thank you so much for coming on. We truly learned so much. I mean, my jaw is still like 
on the ground with some of the data you gave us, it's really eye-opening, especially the dropout rate and the 70% that doesn't finish high school. That's, that's mm-hmm. truly something that should get everybody motivated about fixing our school system. And so what I would say, you know, my takeaway with this is that it definitely is something that a collaborative effort, you know. It needs to be between the teachers, uh, the community, the government, mm-hmm. and parents. Like, it needs to be a joint effort where everybody is helping, every, you know, all hands on deck. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and what I another thing that I wanted to point out was that, yeah, I, I do hear that we're opening a lot more schools. And, and uh, my, my thing is that we need quality over quantity. Right. Because if we have schools that are built and we don't even have chalks to write on the boards, books to read, that makes no sense. So we should focus more on improving um, the quality of what we have so far. And, uh, you know, because, you know, and then the overall mentality that we talked about where we all need to chip in, because if we have this mentality of, you know, somebody else should do it, in the end, nobody else will do well, it. Well, right. That's, those and are good so, points. And those so are good points. for me, you know, uh, just my final word is that, you know, we just, we have to stay positive you know, and just keep grinding. And one thing more, if you want, you know, we just have to want more and better for ourselves and for our people. And so if we stay hopeful and we stay, you know, collaborating, you know, uh, then, you know, it'll, it'll become a much easier task because it's an uphill battle, but it'll become easier if we do it together. And so I would mm-hmm. like to, you know, my final proverb that I'm going to close with is that, you know, when spider webs unite, you know, they can tie up a lion. Right. So a little bit helps. And I think right. that's the lens that we need to look at it from. That's, that's, those are all good and really good valid points. Now, um, again, thank you so much for obviously joining and sharing so much wisdom with us today and this early morning. Um, just been great. Um, can look forward to having you again to share some of the um, more things that you have in store and all the things, the great work that you're doing. In the Gambia, we commend you um, for all the work that you're doing. Um, for me, my final really is just that it's just thing. you know, when you know better, you do better. Let's help the Gambian people and our communities, our African people, help them know better so they can do better. Um, Anna, I mean, not Anna, Anna, um, I don't know, I can't say Anna, Anna, all sounds alike. But um, now any final things that you want to say before we, we, we close up? Yes, um, thank you. So I think, you know, Nafi and Anna said a lot of it. I think, first of all, it will take all of us. Like, this is not my work or it's all of us. Right. Tied to who we will be in the future and what kind of earth we leave for our children, even beyond the Gambia. Mm -hmm. I think we should be process driven. Sometimes we're such, we're in a rush for our children to fulfill our ego we're in a rush for them to see them write or read or whatever it is um, that we negate what they need at that particular Mm -hmm. time. So I think that process driven is also linked to our ego. We all have work Mm -hmm. to do here. Um, Mm -hmm. I think even the Quran talks about nafs, that if you don't conquer that, you don't go to the gates of heaven. 
And right. that's one of the purposes of why we are here. So we need mm -hmm. to align. Education has a role to play there. We need to align our education to this work of ego. We leave the world better. We need yeah. to tackle oppression and dominance and selflessness. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we say people are envious, but of course, if I'm not eating once a day, Tupac said that yeah. as well, you know, and then I see you, you're at a fine restaurant eating. I'm not going right. to be happy about that, you know? Absolutely. And this notion that individualism, that I need to set myself up, that's one of the things I hear from a private school. I'm not a believer in private schools, even though I started mm -hmm. one. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, that's why I'm trying right. to run and do the public education thing as soon as possible. But that we need to set our children up. We need to give them a competitive advantage. Because if mm -hmm. you give your children a competitive advantage, it means someone is at a disadvantage. And that's the person right. that's going to be climbing through your window. Or Yes. Yeah. So everybody needs to at least have the basic needs met. Mm -hmm. And to do that, we need to hold our government and ourselves accountable because the government is mm -hmm. us. So right. those are the parting right. words. Thank you guys for having me really here good. and for staying oh, up thank you. so late to have this long <laughs> conversation on education, which is always so emotive. Um, I think one of right. the things that Anna said and one of the things that I always say to our parents, everyone has an opinion about education and no one thinks Absolutely. about the science of education. It's both a science and an art. There's a lot of research that's been done into that. So parents mm -hmm. should, those who have access to science should be able to look at the size of education and say, you know, my child's three, they shouldn't be able to read or write or one of those things. They're still learning languages. This is the expectation right. as opposed to going with the flow. Because I think one of the things that we, everyone has an opinion, like, you, most people would never go to a doctor and say, no, I don't think you should give me this antibiotic. You should give me that antibiotic. But we do right. that with the teaching profession. One, because teachers are not as equipped as they should be. Mm -hmm. And the profession is not respected. So I think we need to work on the profession. Teachers actually teaching for the whole human being and having that knowledge. And then also mm -hmm. the respect for the profession. Right. Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you, you guys. Man. Well, all right. This was a great show. Um, until next time. Thank you, everyone. Bye. Thank you. Good night. Good morning.